gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Karazov Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year Holy folks, it's almost Christmas and this is the fourth annual Superman in the Bronze Age Christmas special. I am the Elvis of Superman podcasting, Charlie Niemeyer, and joining me with his smooth as velvet tones is the Conway Twitty of Superman podcasting, Mr. J. David Weeder. Hello, darling. No, wait, hello, Charlie. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> oh. I know there's a tiger in those tight-fitting jeans. Oh. The only other song I know of his is uh, Slow Hand, and, but I really don't think that I want to talk about that. Because I'm surprised that you went on a road trip with me and I didn't play the I See the Want To in Your Eyes. That's become a tradition. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes. Uh, how you doing? Good. You know, I was just thinking about our road trip. That was uh, pretty pretty low on the anger quotient. I, I don't think you got the full experience. No, I didn't have, you didn't get, really get that angry at all except at me. But that was just because I was being a, a smart yeah, you were like. needling me the whole time. <laughs> it's what I do. I pushed it a couple times, but, you know, it was still fun. Besides, you were driving, so I had to be careful. <laughs> and I was half asleep, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the other reason I had to be careful. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the fourth annual Christmas special, which means that we're going to be talking about a Superman-related Christmas comic from the Bronze Age. Which, we're running out of them. Uh, there's only like four or five of these things. I'm glad I caught Dave before we he, he did a special because he was going to cover what we covered last episode. Yes. Or last year. Yes, I was. So, we, but, didn't, we didn't cover it, in fairness. No, because we weren't able to get together to record it. You're, you're only here for the even number of uh, Christmas specials. Which is kind of in line with everything I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of like Harvey Dent. I'm obsessed with symmetry and even numbers. There you go. And, and now you've been on two, on the second and fourth. Uh, if, if, if all we had twins, 
you'd be set. Don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> Don't ever wish that upon me. <laughs> I've been dealing with the whole twins thing for the past week, so thank you very much. Anyway, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we are covering Superman number 269 in this issue, where Superman has a Yule duel with the parasite. But first... Wait, wait, 269? I got the wrong book because I have 369 here. Did I say 269? You did. <laughs> I screwed up. <laughs> yes, number 369, because otherwise we would not be looking at a Christmas issue. But first, we've got listener feedback. Our feedback comes to us from Rust- Rusty Bragg? Rusty Bragg. He's been doing that lately. Yeah, Rusty. Little Rusty. From Clarksburg, West Virginia. And he writes, Hello, Charlie and David. Another stellar episode was episode 90 with guest Michael Bailey. If I'm repeating myself in this email from stuff I said in my last email, I apologize. I love this storyline. And Rusty, Russell, whatever, I have to admit that since I just realized that I have not read the previous email, you're quite all right. Anyway, I, I mean, read it on the show. I've read Anyway, I would place the, this story in my top 10 or maybe even my top five if I had such a list. You might have forgotten to mention that both Action Comics 507 and 508 were reprinted in Best of DC Blue Ribbon Digest number 11. It was the year's best stories issue. It's also in Superman from the 30s to the 80s, which actually was part of the reason we covered it, but thanks. And Superman in the 80s trade paperback. Ooh. Probably with nicer coloring. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Uh, it's too bad they didn't have a similar story before the Bronze Age ended where Martha Kent showed up. Maybe they would have had a female hippie criminal. Anyway, great job. The only other thing I wanted to comment on was the comic subscription experiences. I remember subscribing three different times for three different titles. Superman, The New Adventures of Superboy, and The Best of Blue Ribbon Digest. I honestly don't remember your so-called postal crease. I still have those comics in my collection and they look fine. My Superman subscription ran out at 404. If I had kept going a few more years, I would have gotten 423 for a song. I'm pretty sure I paid a hefty price when I finally did get it. I remember both Superboy and the Digest were canceled during those subscriptions. It was fun while it lasted. And to J. David Weeder, this is the part you're supposed to pay attention to. I am? I'm what? Yep. See? I'm kidding. I was actually <laughs> thinking I want his mailman. I know. Jeez. I wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed your Superboy segments. I have always been a Superboy fan. I always felt sorry for him in comics. Or I always felt sorry for him in comics, though, because the Legion sort of bounced him out. It was Superboy, and then Superboy featuring the Legion, and then Superboy and the Legion, and then Superboy kicks out on his own new book while the Legion took over the old one. They were great stories nonetheless. I enjoyed your co- yeah. I enjoyed your coverage, your synopses, and your witticism. He is witty, let me tell you, folks. I look forward to your coverage on DC Comics Presents, which is another of my favorite books. As of now, I have 71 of the 97 comics, so hopefully you'll be able, I'll be able to follow along with you on most of the episodes. There is one last thing before I go. Since we are so close to your 100th episode... Oh, this is to both of us now. I was wondering if you'd be able to tell us plans you have for it, unless you're trying to keep it under wraps. I hope you both have a very Merry Christmas and a happy 2014. P.S. Really enjoy... Oh, this is back to you, by the way. Really enjoy your other podcasts, Dave's Daredevil podcast, the Star Observatories, and there's only one observatory, Russell, and Pad Smash. Thanks for keeping me entertained at work. Well, we're always happy to keep you entertained yeah. wherever you are. 
And thank you, Russell, for helping me plug his shows without having to remember what they are. Yeah, it kept us from doing some heavy lifting. Yes. It's always helpful when the others... Russell does a lot of help, heavy lifting for me. I don't know about you guys, but he does. He he looks up so much stuff. It's so cool. Uh, anyway, so it looks like you have someone really looking forward to your DC Comics Presents stuff. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, and I put I listen to him and put him in the episode. Uh, <laughs> Russell, <laughs> Russell, we will be talking about what what's going to happen next year as well as the hundredth episode, but that's going to wait until the end of the episode. First. We have the Yule Duel to deal with, which we will get to right after this. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice. Blind justice. A guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil. Blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster. But you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Well then, uh, Scott, can you do me a favor? What's that? I've got an episode coming. Let's see. It's called Magnus Remembers uh, Superman Returns, so uh, don't listen to that episode. It, this is all kind of, it's all part of my Superman Begins, like, miniseries that, I, that I'm that uh, i going through, or was going through. This is all part of the uh, lead-up to Man of Steel coming out on Blu-ray, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I've got two little interludes. Uh, the first... Lucy, shut the <laughs> up! <laughs> Sorry about that, it's the dog. <laughs> Brendan's Magnus Punches Reality at TwoTrueFreaks.com Discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality every Tuesday at TwoTrueFreaks.com No animals were harmed in the making of this promo. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. And we're back, which is obvious because you can hear me. This issue is, like I said, Superman 369, uh, which had a cover date of March 1982 and on sale date of December 10th, 1981, and a cover price of 60 cents. And the cover is actually kind of cool. It shows Parasite knocking Superman into a giant Christmas tree as many, many, many onlookers watch in shock. And unlike a lot of the covers from this era, it's drawn by Rich Buckler and Frank Giacoya. What do you think of this cover, Dave? It's Rich Buckler. I like his Superman. His Superman's manly. He's beefy. He's no Jose, Gar- you know, Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Praise be his name. But he is kind of of that same style. The clean lines. I, I I love this cover. The colors are 
they're a little bit darker than I would prefer on like the parasite. You don't get as much definition. Yeah, it's a dark purple. Yep, but that's the only that's the only complaint I have. I love the composition. I I love this cover. It does look really really cool. And special note, guys, is that Rich Buckler stays on and does the interior of this issue as well. Speaking of which, let's get to the actual let's get to the whole creative team. The title of this story is Superman's Last Christmas. Written by Carrie Bates with art well, uh, pencil art by Rich Buckler. Inked by Frank McLaughlin, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Adrian Roy of Batman fame, and edited by Julius Schwartz of Silver Age fame. And of course, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Our story begins at the Galaxy Plaza in Metropolis, where Steve Lombard and Lana Lang are doing their best to ad-lib on the air while they wait for Superman to deliver the giant Christmas tree. The reason they're having to do this ad-libbing? Superman is far away saving a house from a giant sinkhole and then filling it in with or and then filling in the sinkhole using liquid hot magma from deep beneath the earth's surface. His super feat completed, Superman once again picks up the giant tree and heads to Metropolis, wishing he had begged off from delivery this year. Speaking of Metropolis, on Delancey Street we see an unnamed man attacked by what appears to be a Salvation Army Santa, but the man quickly takes down Santa and drops him down a nearby manhole. And while he hears his attacker run off down the sewer tunnel, we the camera goes down there to show us that apparently Santa is streaking. Back at Galaxy Plaza, Superman arrives with the tree, quickly setting it up and decorating it at super speed, but then flies off unexpectedly, leaving Lana to pull the switch to turn on the lights. Meanwhile, Clark meets up with Lois and Jimmy at the ceremony, where they quickly tire of his bah humbug attitude that he has every year during the holidays. Meanwhile, at a construction site on the Lower East Side, that unnamed man from before is identified as Government Agent 449-K, where we find a recorded message on a, or I'm sorry, where he finds a recorded message on a crane that tells him that he is to shadow a man suspected of treason against the United States. And that man's name is Clark Kent. Meanwhile, up north at the Fortress of Solitude, Superman is glad to be away from the sights and sounds of the season while he enjoys the bio-soothing wavelengths of the hollow beamer he received from the inhabitants of the planet Rhinar. And while mysterious glowing footprints make their way to the fortress, we learn that the reason that Superman is not a huge fan of Christmas is that every holiday season since the Kents passed away just reminds him of how isolated and alone he really is. And while he thinks about how the Kents would react if they knew how he was feeling, He's caught completely unaware by an attack from an unknown assailant. And that's chapter one of the story. Dave, what'd you think? Dun, dun, dun. Yes. <laughs> I see. I, okay. Just kind of an overall, now less page by page. My first gut reaction to Superman's attitude was, man, grow, grow, grow a appendage. Um, <laughs> He's, yeah. he's, he's whiny. And then I thought, well, you know, I, you know, I, my dad is no longer with us and I haven't enjoyed Christmas in the same. So I kind of gave fair, fair, fair play to Superman on that one. Yes. But then again, I'm not Superman. Right. Well, I'm trying to remember too. I, I'm kind of wrecking my brain if this kind of messes up with previous continuity, but considering how rare it is for Superman to have been in a Christmas story previous to this, 
there really isn't much to contradict it. No. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to say because I think by this point, Superman had what one or two Golden Age stories, which would have been well, that would be Earth Two Superman now. Uh, I think he was with the Justice League in one of the Christmas specials that came out during the Bronze Age. And then the issue of DC Comics Presents that he's in doesn't come out until later on in the Bronze Age after this issue. Mm -hmm. So really, other than... And then the only other super story really is uh, a Superboy and the Legion story, which would still have him as Superboy, so he would still be enjoying Christmas. So I guess this kind of works. Yeah, and like you said, it makes complete sense. I I can understand why uh, that would definitely make you bummed. Yeah, it just that knee jerk reaction was. It's weird to see Superman grousing about being Superman, mm-hmm. about grousing about the stress of Christmas and the holidays. I, I don't know. That just threw me off. For once, I got used to it. I was fine. I was on board. Yeah, at first I was like, "Wow, this is really written out of character." Because of all people, you would think Superman would love Christmas. Yeah. You know, uh, did you notice I, I was noticing something, too, if you look at the art, especially on Superman himself, there there's it's like a bit of a hybrid kind of thing between Kurt Swan and Rich Buckler art. Yeah, I Rich Buckler is. He feels like the missing link between Kurt Swan or, or Kurt Schaffenberger, the Kurtz uh-huh. and somebody like the, you know, the Jose Garcia Lopez. Praise be his praise name. Be his name. Like he is kind of you can see the transition within Buckler because when we when we covered Superman versus Shazam, that Buckler was the artist on that, and you you saw more leaning more towards Lopez style. Yes, and that was actually this should have been before this, but uh, yeah, it was. I'm also wondering though if some of it is McLaughlin's inks, maybe. Maybe he seems a little. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Some images, he, he seems a little trimmer, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. more svelte. And then in some of the images, like especially on the first page, he's kind of got the wider body that Swan uses. So, I don't know. It's kind of, uh, Who knows? This, this could even be a story that was done quite a long time ago, and they've just finally put it in. So it yeah, could, it could be have been. earlier Buckler art. Could have been in the backlog. Yeah, yeah. That was that's one of the things reasons why these stories were so rare, because well, especially some of the in the seventies, it seems like the Superman title was titles were working kind of on an inventory system, and they would just write and draw the stories and then fit them in whenever they could, or wherever Schwartz wanted to. Uh, so by this point, they weren't doing that anymore. But I'm, it's almost like maybe this was kind of left over because. The art is really, really good, but it's, I don't know, it's almost like a slightly earlier vert styled for him. Yeah, and it's a little stiffer than what we'll see later. His poses are much better in Superman versus Shazam and, and then the DC Comics Presents issues after that that kind of uh-huh. followed up on it. Yeah, but very in no way so. is it bad. No, 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 no. We're not saying this is bad at all. In fact, one of the things I really like about the art is all the exterior shots. You really got the sense that uh, – I'm not going to sit here and say it looks like he copied from a photograph. But you really got the sense that you're looking at a at a modern city. And that was one of the comments I had when covering the Shazam issues is, yeah, he, he must have had a really good reference 
library, which is now is simply Google. You back back in the day, <laughs> yes. as to to paraphrase Ron White, you had to go to a library, which is a building. <laughs> which he was drawing anyway. But yes, you had to go to the buildings. You had to make copies of photos in a from magazines and encyclopedias. Or take but your big this... Kodak camera that was the size of, say, a, a Buick. Take pictures <laughs> with that. Then you had yes. to go to the, the to have your film developed, and it took an hour. <laughs> but it, uh, it was also kind of ironic because I just had I just had a uh, root canal about a week ago, so having Superman doing this whole filling thing was actually pretty uh, traumatic. Weird timing. Actually, they numbed me up so good, I didn't feel a thing. I, I they, yeah, did, yeah, they have to get me pretty high to bring a needle towards me. Well, the, yeah, the needle part scared me. Uh, uh, yeah, because it's it was one of my back teeth, so it had to be pretty long to get it in there. And then the <laughs> syringe looked like one of those ones they had from like the twenties, the metal ones with the spot. Anyway, see, I'm just scared of sinkholes. And it's, I, no, I know I'm dead serious. I am dead serious because nearby um, where I live here in Springfield is a small town called Nixa. And that town over the last few years has started developing sinkholes because a lot of this area of Missouri is over huge cavernous caves. Yes. Ooh. And yeah, yeah I remembered a news story where it did swallow a house like this. And the, actually, it's weird that before I knew what issue we were covering, the other night I did have a bad dream about a sinkhole opening and... Yeah, so this this brought it all back. Did, did Superman save you? No. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Um, but yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I'm wondering. At first, I was wondering if this was like supposed to be the other side of the world, but it's hard to tell because it just looks like a farm in the Midwest or something. See, I didn't take it. I took it as in the outskirts of Metropolis, or. Oh. Until I... you said that, though, I would there. Well, yeah, I guess in New York, you'd find big pines like this yeah and there's farming area just outside of the city so what i get yeah that makes sense but this is one of the times of course where superman is able to save a house and there's well i guess there actually are hookups for plumbing mm -hmm. look at that yeah exactly Sweet. i was gonna say the same thing so <laughs> dang it and of course the mysterious secret agent uh throws santa down a down the sewer and then the Santa guy leaves his beard and coat and clothes just hanging around in the sewer. I'm sure that plot point won't come into relevance later. No, not at all. I'm but where, sure. where are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Well, I'm wondering if that's the main thing. No, that's a rat, isn't it? That's Splinter. Okay. Right behind the hat. Yeah. Okay, it all makes sense now. Oh, yeah. wow. That would be pretty great. <laughs> the parasite absorbs a mutagen ooze from Daredevil's origin and makes the turtles. Okay. There you go. See? And did you... I don't know if I hadn't watched the movie recently, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have occurred to me. Do you realize Superman was basically pulling a Clark Griswold from Christmas vacation, going out to get the, the largest tree he could get? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that's a good, good point. And it's a Clark. Yep. <laughs> uh -huh. All he needs now, is a cousin Eddie. <laughs> oh, well, that's what Lombard does. Oh, wow. See, it all fits. It's a parable. <laughs> now, here's something it looks like Clark had a snowball thrown at him somewhere between on page six, somewhere between the third and fourth panels. Clark walks up kind of eh, bah humbug. And on the next panel, Lois is 
sweeping snow off of his hair, and he's got some on his shoulder. He's, it's clumsy, clumsy secret identity keeping, because as Superman, he's been flying around in an area, well, with, with a bunch of ice. He's got yes. it in his hair, and she's, I mean, luckily she's not thinking much of it. But he kind of, that's one little detail he forgot. Well, he's bummed. That does play into the rest of the story. But, and then, of course, we have the guy picking up the secret recording, and Clark Kent is is accused of treason. That's never good. No. On the plus side, it seems like this guy is about as shocked as we are. It's like he uh, knows something. Yeah, it's like, Clark Kent? No way. New York City? <laughs> Now, I love this is one of the things I like about the Bronze Age. I know like some people like say Michael Bailey uh like that like it when Superman is the most amazing thing in the universe or whatever. But there's some something quaint or interesting to me about the fact that planet the inhabitants of another planet would give Superman this thing that he can use to relax. The hollow beamer, and it was given to him by the inhabitants of the planet Rhinar, and he just floats. And I just think that's something that's kind of cool. It's kind of kind of like a Paul Bunyan kind of feel, a larger than life feel, which I like. Mm-hmm. And I want one of those machines so bad. Oh, I would love that. And just to float, that just the floating part would be cool, but to have it soothing your bio wavelengths it basically is is it's it it gives you relaxing feelings exactly sounds like a nice a floating massager now on the next page i love and you you'll you could relate to this because you've been covering a lot of superboy since Mm -hmm. wow for like 40 episodes now um i love that on one christmas they gave clark a red sweater yes because he (laughs) doesn't have enough of those (laughs) Martha's always uh, knitting those red sweaters. Oh, uh, yeah. Like a closet full of them. I have the <laughs> Superboy PVC set. Yeah, and he, he yeah. still has that red sweater. Red sweater, white dress shirt, and blue pants. But, yeah. But I, I like that, I like this, that Super Baby, he helped put the star up of the tree. Uh, and later on, he used to help Pa find the tree to bring to the house. And when they show up, of course, Mom Kent is ready with some cocoa or something. Or mugs of whiskey, depending on how they take it. I believe the term is called hot toddy. There you go. Yeah. I mean, he's Kryptonian. He's not going to feel it. Uh, so, yeah, it's just... it. Once again, you get the fa- the idea that he had the idyllic life growing up in Smallville. It is a warm and cozy Christmas. And I can see the difference in the... I mean, you've got a snowy, murky metropolis. Lois is being, you know, Lois. <laughs> we don't know exactly what Jimmy's up to. So I, I get where he's coming from. Well, he's still wearing that grid jacket. Yeah. yeah. He's not quite Mr. Action yet. No, no, no. Uh, but then I think I think this page nine is probably where he looks the most like a Kurt Swan Superman to me. Especially on the third, fourth, and fifth. Well, the third and fourth panel in that circular one. Definitely looks like Kurt Swan. And then that final panel, he looks more like Lopez. So weird. 
It really is. I mean, it's like it's like the missing link. Mm-hmm. It's it's really crazy. It's like it's on. I you know I read. I didn't realize this, but I read somewhere somewhat recently that um, around the time that they were trying to bring Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, name, onto the Superman books to um, kind of take over for Swan to bring a more modern artist onto the books. Apparently they were also trying to bring Rich Buckler onto the Superman books. So in an alternate universe in earth two, we could be saying Rich Buckler, praise be his name. Possible. Very possible. But apparently neither one of them could keep up with the scheduling needed for a monthly book, which is why Swans stayed on both books. (laughs) Ah, anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Okay, so <laughs> chapter two. We find out that the surprise guest in the fortress is Parasite, who attacks Superman and puts him in a... Is that a half Nelson? Full Nelson? He puts him in a wrestling hole. It's, it's a full Nelson. That's it. He puts Superman in a full Nelson and starts absorbing his powers, as Parasite is wont to do. Superman uses the last bit of energy he's got to free himself roll Parasite up in a ball, and throw him right out of the fortress with a crash. Now, somehow, this embeds Parasite into a glacier that now seals up around him or something. So while Superman tries to recover, Parasite uses his new heat vision to basically melt himself out of the glacier, and he flies off to Metropolis. Feeling, and because of the fact that he just touched Superman, he also picked up Superman's mental state, which means he knows about Superman's humdrum attitude about Christmas. So he knows that this could affect Superman's ability to fight him in future encounters. And it also helps with his anti-Superman strategy that he's concocted. Meanwhile, back in Metropolis the next day, Clark is helping Lois with some packages because she's managed to do all of her Christmas shopping in one day. As they walk down the street, or I guess the sidewalk, actually, as they walk down the sidewalk, Clark hears the clack of a rifle bolt being primed. At super speed, he uses his x-ray vision to sweep the area, spots the would-be assassin, but before he has to deal with trying to figure out how to save himself, our government agent knocks out the assassin. Clark takes the time to check out the uh, the government agent's wallet, and we find out that his name is Corey Winwald. Winwald? Renwald. It's like Renfield from Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> and which rings a bell for Superman because he remembers helping a younger agent, Renwald, in an enemy sabotage case years ago in Smallville as seen in Superboy number 19, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, Lois thinks that Clark is just staring, so Clark apologizes. And Clark believes that the only possible explanation is that some government agency figured out that Clark was going to be assassinated and that Agent Renwald was actually keeping an eye for the assassination to take place, not knowing that Renwald is actually supposed to be watching Clark. Meanwhile, after Renwald Renwald drops the assassin off at the local police station... He enters a phone booth at a pre-scheduled meeting place using the phrase, the rain in Spain falls mainly on the Mesa, 
and waiting for the response except when the north winds blow. That, of course, is spy vernacular for I'm the one you're supposed to be talking to. Uh, Agent Renwald is told that he needs to go check out Clark Kent's apartment and that the enemy Kent sold out to is not of Earth, but alien beings from some distant planet. So while Agent Renwald sneaks his way into Clark's apartment, putting a special key in the door that's supposed to hide the fact that it's that the lock's been broken or entered into, that sets off a microscopic alarm system, which basically seems to use the same ultrasonic siren that Jimmy Olsen's signal watch uses, judging by the Z, Z, Z noise. Clark, of course, picks up on this, checks out his apartment, and sees Agent Renwald going through his stuff. Clark runs to the storeroom to change, but is attacked once again by Parasite because, you know, Parasite knows that Clark Kent is Superman. And that's where we end Chapter 2. That's a heck of a cliffhanger. These cliffhangers are oddly timed, by the way. Yeah, but but they, they are... Yeah, the last time it was, we don't know who's attacking. Now we know exactly who's attacking. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So going back to the beginning of this chapter. So were you at all surprised that... Okay, first of all, the question we I have is, how was the parasite walking invisibly? Was he was he invisible? Let me. He walked. He walked just his Arctic invisibly, but he had glowing footprints. Although that was the first chapter, but still. No, I only okay. See, I was I was just I didn't catch that it was invisible. Oh, okay. But yeah, he was invisible, and then he shows up in the fortress. Also, how, how did he get to Superman without setting off all the alarms? That's the other question I he's have. He's still got, doesn't he still have a, a little bit of Superman within him? Because he's coming well, for a fill-up. Well, yeah, but see, this was the first time he'd come in contact with Superman in the story, so I wasn't sure if they, he would have any Kryptonian in him. Would Unless you like some? Uh, <laughs> I wasn't meaning to set up, but, you know. <laughs> Very good. Because I thought he said, here we go. Uh, my Krypton, that's him. Never mind. See, I had read it as he had a little... He was basically running out of Superman's juice and wanted a little bit more. Of course, he has this nefarious plan going on, too. Yes. Well, wait. Are you looking at the beginning of the chapter or the end of the chapter? Okay. The beginning. In any event, he puts Superman in a nice wrestling hold, which you don't see too much, which makes it easy for him to get the power. And then Superman headbutts him. That's awesome. And then rolls him in a ball and throws him away. Then again, by making holes in the wall like that, is it and and having a keyhole that's actually a doorway, is it any wonder that everybody doesn't just stroll right in? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a uh, course I, I, based I on the de- no. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I think about the design of the fortress as as in the trade the treasury. Mm-hmm. The first foyer there, he would have been decontaminated. Before Parasite? he even entered the main... Hmm? Parasite, you mean? Parasite would have been decontaminated. It's the first thing that happens when Superman walks in, mm-hmm. puts the key in the spot, and walks in. There's a decontamination in the foyer. That way, if there's any space microbes or anything, it's washed away. Good point. I'd have so, to walk all the way over there and get the whole thing out to show you the diagram, but... 
Well, I'm right. just I'm thinking of of he could have gotten in that far, but then yeah, he should have set something off, surely. Yeah, because um, well, just a couple months ago on this very show, we covered Superman, all the stuff Superman had to go through when Brainiac was controlling the fortress. Mm-hmm. He had to deal with super robots, lasers, disintegration pit, all kinds of stuff, and. Apparently, the parasite could just slip past all of it. But that's just the plot hole that we would only notice because we're podcasters, right? <laughs> he's just a purple dude in a green Speedo? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's practically Barney. <laughs> <laughs> so, Superman is literally crawling across the floor. Now, somehow, he has wedged the parasite in a glacier. Now, in my mind, I would think that, that he could just crawl back out of it through the hole that he made in the side of the glacier. But for some reason, he had to use his heat vision to blast his way out. He's doing it so he's he's, he's blasting through the bottom. Oh, he's not that... counting on Superman's telescopic vision, which is weakened because of this, the power suck. He's not counting on that not being a factor, so he's like, I'm going to drill down. Which oh, is the next okay. scene, you actually see him... Swoop down to the, the water underneath. That makes sense. Although, I have to wonder. This says that Superman's telescopic vision range is only a couple of inches. When he's weak. Yeah, how can you tell that? Because <laughs> you can see a couple of inches. <laughs> I can see a couple of inches right now. I can see several inches. Feet, even. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know how you could tell that. But whatever. We'll just let that go. Okay, so we, of course, get Parasite bragging about the fact that he's got this big plan. Now, I haven't read a whole bunch of Parasite from Bronze Age yet. Seems like I just recently got most a lot of the issues he appears in. But he definitely appears to be quite a bit smarter than he is in the post-crisis era. Well, Especially with the use of words little. like theory... And strategy I've ever conceived. He's almost like a purple Luther. Yeah, I'm quite impressed that he's using multisyllable words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of them even have hyphens in them. Whoa. I know. Dude. I bet he went to a library, which is a building. <laughs> Probably the same one that Rich Buckler was using for his uh, oh, pictures. Speaking of, I did find oh. out a little bit more about Buckler. Okay. That I didn't know. Apparently, he's he's been accused of being a, a big swipe artist. Uh huh. I've heard that a couple times. Which I did. I didn't know much about him, so I'm like, I'll look him up while you're giving the synopsis. Since I read the issue, he also. <laughs> You've been there, done that. Yep. I also got really excited because he created a, a comic book that I remember from the '80s called Reagan's Raiders, and it starred Ronald Reagan as this really hardcore commando style. <laughs> No. Imagine an '80s action hero, except it's Ronald Reagan. Like '80s Ronald Reagan, like old yeah. man Reagan. Yes. Oh yes. no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, that's got to be weird. It was well, it was probably above my head exactly how great it was. But yeah, I, I remember having it was three, it only lasted three issues. But yeah, I had every every issue at the comics. <laughs> yeah, I got it from a comic show. So it's awesome in the. Uh... Because it's so funny and weird kind of way. 
Well, yeah, who would put Ronald Reagan old? And this is during the Reagan presidency, mind you. Oh, he was in a lot of comics then, too. Yeah. But, you know, Barack Obama shows up in Spider-Man and everybody's excited. That's not a com. That's not a political comment, by the way. Let me please be clear on that. That's just a comment on fandom. Yeah, they just people forgot because they didn't put the. That's going to sound wrong, but they didn't put the Bushes in the comics. No, no, but they did put Ronald Reagan. JFK was in the comic. Uh, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton were at Superman's funeral. Yep. And that was actually drawn before he won the presidency. Yeah. Somebody. Well, I mean, there was there wasn't much of a doubt. No, that was pretty much a landslide for him. <laughs> anyway, we're getting on politics, but I, I was just excited to find out. <laughs> There's one of the things I never thought we'd be po- we'd talk about on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> especially one about the Bronze Age. Wow. Anyway, the final panel of page thirteen, we get another one of those cool city shots with just people's feet, but then you see Clark and Lois in the background. Now, pay attention to this panel because Clark is wearing a fedora on this panel. Very clearly. Turn the page. Clark is no longer wearing a fedora. <laughs> and and stand, they're standing next to the sign that says no standing. Oh, I never read the sign before. That's awesome. <laughs> what the hell? I mean, what else are you going to... Uh, I've never seen a no standing sign. I've seen it. I've just never taken it seriously. Wow. Well, at least not one that says... I've seen like no loitering, but not... Standing. So I guess if they sit, that's all right. Yeah. You okay. can bring a lawn chair. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Just sit in the middle of the side. I'll lay down on the sidewalk. What the heck? Okay. So then we have, and I don't know how, well, I guess I see, know how Lois misses it because he's probably moving at super speed, but Clark hears the clack of the rifle bolt and he is like doing about a, what, 90 degree maybe? Yeah. <laughs> uh, turn around using his it says x-ray vision but I would think some telescopic vision would be used too to try to find out who it is and then we get one panel where it definitely looks like it Kurt Swan Clark Kent and then a foot hits the assassin's face and the gun still goes off so I wonder if I hope no one got shot <laughs> let's hope so jeez uh, let's see. So, the, okay. So then we find out that the government agent's name is Corey Renwald. And now I know I didn't have a chance, but you said you checked out Superboy number 19. Yep. It's actually new adventures of Superboy number 19 after, as, oh, Ru- yes. as, as Russell pointed out, the Legion shoved him out. Um, <laughs> it was, it was a similar story. I mean, without the Christmas theme, it was also by Carrie Bates, which makes a lot of sense, but yeah, they Kent's took, uh, took Renwald in. He was a delinquent and, he helped them. He was a CIA agent in this. He basically was pretending to be a, a communist defector himself and luckily watched out for Clark and Jonathan as they're on a camping trip, tranquilized them to kind of allow them to be out of the action, not knowing Clark was Superboy. Oh, well, yeah. But yeah, Clark did leave a conveniently placed dummy. Apparently dummies are <laughs> <laughs> easy to come he's, by. He, yeah, Well, you know, he's really good at making dummies, too. Yeah. Now, we were talking about some of the art styles of Rich Buckler here and how some of it gets kind of weird. That kind of looks like a Kurt Schaffenberger Lois on the third panel of page 15, Yeah, which is weird. 
Oh no, there's nothing wrong with the Kurt Schaffenberger Lois. I'm not saying that there is. <laughs> but Although it's it's, just... it's funny you say that because Schaffenberger did draw that Superboy tail, so. Yeah, see. <laughs> full, it, full circle. It's well, we were just talking about how Buckler's like the link between the between the sets, and now he's, excuse me, he's he's drawing from both, Kurt, from both Kurtz as well as more modern art like Lopez. Mm-hmm. So it's this is just really cool. And then that next panel. See, this is the kind of stuff I love. You have an establishing shot. Well, not really an establishing shot because we've seen the city. But you can tell that the world is populated by more than just Clark and Lois. Granted, they're the only two that are actually colored in. But you get the idea in this story that there are a lot of people in Metropolis. It would be a little scary if there wasn't. Well, yeah, but... And I'm not trying to knock his art but there are times when kurt swung draws a lot of people and there are times when someone's walking down the street and the street is completely deserted even though it's the middle of the day middle of the day high traffic period yeah yeah metropolis does feel like a bit dust bowl sometimes in the yeah so these few panels here really make it feel like we're looking at a at a city plus i don't know it just if it's it's a modern city here It, it almost feels more like uh well it feels a lot more modern than the fact that we're reading a pre-crisis superman comic yeah it feels contemporary in a lot of ways it feels yes much it feels ahead of its time i guess would be the best way to describe it there you go that's that's the word i was going for those are the word yeah well post-crisis metropolis did feel alive and a lot of that was because they used some of the secondary characters to flesh out the story even when superman wasn't around there was a character to latch on to, so you felt populated. You felt sometimes claustrophobic. Yes. <laughs> Especially during the, uh, I want to call it Superman, King of the World. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. When they had like two issues of that thing, didn't even have Superman in it. But that's, we're not getting into that. This is not uh, Superman in the post-crisis age. So we move along, and now the agent gets a phone call from the mysterious head guy. And I love this part because you have to remember that this is the Bronze Age, so it's possible that there's kids that don't understand the whole code phrase thing. <laughs> Renwald says the rain in Spain falls mainly on the Mesa. The voice on the phone says, except when the north winds blow. And then on the phone it says, now that we've cleared each other with the proper code phrases, proceed with your report, Renwald. And that's just the kind of expository dialogue you used to get this era which is kind of makes it kind of cool and is also kind of funny yeah it could be really awkward it's not chris claremont level where you have characters thinking of their whole history (laughs) in in one thought balloon but (laughs) yes yeah thank goodness we had that scene in the fortress and we didn't see the bottles well i guess we actually did see something about the bottle city because super supergirls still got her family alive even though her parents are in another dimension, but that's a whole nother story. But she, at, least, at least she has adopted parents. Yeah, they're still alive too. But it's like uh, when I was I was joking with Mike a couple episodes ago. The or was it an episode of his show? Episode of his show, uh, views from the long box. That uh, every time that he went to the fortress, he would see the bottle city and have to explain that it's the bottle city of Candor, once shrunk by the villainous Brainiac before Krypton was destroyed. Uh, now I have found it, and I work tirelessly to try to save the to save the inhabitants of the city. But first, I have to go to bed. 
<laughs> I gotta take and, a quick nap. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, so that it, sounds like a freakazoid speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll note that he did it a lot in the Silver Age and in the Bronze Age up until he freed the people and then they got mad at him. Yeah. <laughs> wonder why. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, but anyway, we move along and we go to where Clark is working on some – is actually working, which is cool. I don't what? know why that's cool. I know. Believe it or not. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that the lock makes the same ultrasonic noise that the uh, Jimmy's signal watch does. That would be the same technology. I, I mean that's make, – it makes logical sense to me. Yes. It's, but still, I, you, you, I wouldn't have thought to do that. I guess is what I was saying. I wouldn't have thought to make it the same sound effect. I would have just some kind of well, they, they may pulse at different rates. Jimmy's may pulse faster while the apartment may be a little bit more moderately paced. So a different maybe, tempos. Maybe Jimmy's got, has one dot between the Z's as opposed to the two. Yeah. There you go. And then, of course, it ends with a cool scene of Super Clark being attacked. Because he's only halfway through the transformation, folks. He still has his glasses on, but he's still wearing Clark's pants. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, <laughs> so moving right along to the final part. Part three, Superman's last Christmas, which is actually the title of the story anyway. All right, so Superman and Parasite start fighting while Parasite is absorbing a lot of Superman's powers. Meanwhile, since they're so high, Clark is trying, or Superman is trying his best to melt off Clark's pants because it wouldn't do for someone to spot him wearing Clark's pants because that's just weird. Uh, and Parasite basically punches Superman right into the tree that he delivered earlier, destroying it, and then he flies off. While Superman recovers, we find out that Renwald has found something awesome, a startling discovery in Clark's apartment. And he needs to figure out what he's going to do because he's got a moral dilemma on his hands. Do it, does he report what he's learned to the agency? Or does he break protocol and keep what he knows a secret just between him and Clark? So he gets in a, he flags down a cab, does the code phrase thing again, and lights a cigarette as he gives his report. And he states that due to the sensitive nature, he will only divulge the information of what he found in the apartment to the head man who is coordinating the operation and sets up a time to rendezvous at 1800 hours. Uh, after dropping off Renwald, the cab driver tells us that he's actually parasite in disguise. Apparently he was also Santa, the Santa that attacked Renwald. And by touching him, he knew how to, who he was and had to get in t contact with them and had to set them up for a mission. So the whole time it's been Parasite, he's been the voice on the phone. He was the voice on the recorder. He was the cab driver we just saw. So really quick, he crashes the cab into a building. And then flies off, ripping the mask off that he was wearing as the cab driver. And by the way, when he flies off, he looks like he's Lex Luthor. I don't know if you noticed this, because he's basically got a bald guy's face mask. He's wearing a green outfit, and he's purple. Anyway, back at Clark's apartment, Superman arrives. 
using his supervision, he's able to figure out exactly what Renwald found. And it looks like Renwald ran across some of the super trophies that he ha has hidden in the apartment. Even though he didn't leave fingerprints behind, uh, the mi Superman's microscopic vision can pick up the uh, glove contact on the trophies. So assuming that Renwald now knows the Clark is Superman, he figures he's got a lot of trouble to deal with this Christmas and it's one that Superman and Clark Kent will not soon forget, assuming that they survive it. Later that day, we joined the Christmas party at WGBS, where Steve Lombard, after apparently years of trying, finally catches Lana under the mistletoe and lands a big kiss on her. Vartox and is not going to like that. No, it's a good thing he can't see it. <laughs> uh, Lois is not there yet, but we do see Perry White, Morgan Edge... Jimmy Olsen and some other employees of WGBS. Apparently Clark was there, but he disappeared and was running off only to run into Lois and NBC newscaster Carol Jenkins. Which I'm guessing is real and is a cameo appearance. Uh, anyway, yes, it is a cameo appearance because she only appears in these three panels. Uh, Clark runs off, changes to Superman, and flies off. Apparently, he's got an anti-parasite plan. He, apparently, he chemically drained the last burst of Kryptonian energy that the parasite stole, and it alerts his super senses when parasite is nearby. So he traces it. Uh, meanwhile... Uh, Agent Renwald is meeting up with the head man, which we know is Parasite. And once again, we get the rain in Spain falls mainly on the Mesa, except when the north winds blow. Uh, but before Renwald can report exactly what he found in Clark's apartment, Superman arrives, peeling off Parasite's costume to reveal that he is, in fact, Parasite. Parasite starts kind of mocking Superman and offers to steal even more of Superman's power, but as he does so, something hurts him. And Superman's kind of happy about this. And we find out that Superman deliberately subjected himself to a low-grade dose of kryptonite radiation that he diluted with certain other chemicals. It wasn't potent enough to rob him of his superpowers, but it did allow the kryptonite to remain in his system until the parasite absorbed it. And after the absorption, the additional compounds started breaking down gradually, causing the kryptonite to actually affect Parasite, which, and the reason he's in pain right now is because there's enough kryptonite in him to actually hurt him. Parasite basically crashes down to the ground, not enough to die, but he's going to be hurt for a while, and he'll be safely incarcerated. Late that evening, or yeah, late that evening, Clark is visited by Corey Renwald at his apartment. And we find out that Renwald, well, we don't find out because Dave already told us, but this is where it's reiterated that Corey is the young delinquent that the Kents took in before they adopted Clark and that he bas or they basically turned his life around or helped him turn his life around. It also turns out that Corey does not suspect that Clark is Superman, but based on the trophies figures that Superman's allowing him to keep his trophies or Clark is allowing Superman to keep his trophies at his apartment as a way station between control, but between controls, between patrols, which makes perfect sense. 
Huh? Yeah, of course. So they shake hands and realize that technically they're practically brothers and they're kind of like the family the, they, they didn't have. So they both get to spend the holidays without being alone. And that pretty much ends the story. Do you, uh, before we skip back to the beginning of this chapter, do you actually believe that Renwald doesn't realize Clark is Superman? Well, I think that's a pretty lame excuse. Yeah, I think so, I think it's I think he knows. Yeah, it's almost like he does know, but he doesn't want Clark to know that he knows. Kind of a Pete Ross type thing. Mm-hmm. Almost well, like Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon yeah. knows Batman is Bruce Wayne. Yeah, he's just not. Yeah, it, it, it's all well. It's like Lois a lot of times. It's like she knows, but she won't allow herself to know, mm-hmm. or she won't f- put that last piece in there because she doesn't want to. This seems to be a similar thing because that is the lamest thing. I mean, you can't go into Clark Kent's apartment, find all of these Superman trophies and think, oh, obviously Superman lets you st- or you let Superman store them here. Yeah. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. But going back to page 19, this is a pretty cool fight. It's short, excuse me, but we not only get the little bit of Clark burning off his pants, but that third panel, you don't get to see that too much in the Bronze Age because that is not an angle that Kurt Swan would have drawn a fight at. The uh, upward angle as Parasite punches him down towards the ground. You are up in the sky. You get the feeling that that's going to hurt when Superman crashes down to the ground. Yeah. And then he breaks the tree. Oh. That's so sad. This means that Superman now has to go out and get another tree. Not to mention the damage to all the giant ornaments the Galaxy Broadcasting put together. They worked so hard on it. I know. Uh, but of course, you know, we have the mystery that they keep until the end that, you know, you obviously think that Renwald has figured out that Clark into Superman. And of course, the lighter that he's using has a green flame on it, which is really cool. Don't know why that happened. Uh, (laughs) But actually, this plan of Brainiac... uh, Brainiac, wow. This plan of Parasites is actually kind of cool. It's... uh, I can't really think of too much plot hole other than how did he know who Renwald was. But... Well, he touched him. Well, yeah, but how did he know before that? It was just a fluke. Wait, because I didn't think he—I didn't think the whole plan came together until he did touch Renwald, and then he had that resource. That could be possible, but uh, it's kind of hard to tell. It depends on how instantaneous it is, because he's got that thought bubble that this time I'm not absorbing energy, but information from the memory cells of Renwald's brain. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like he knew what he was doing. Let's see, his experience in danger. Yeah, it's hard to—I don't know, but. This was a pretty quick plan to put together, which leads me to believe that this parasite is a lot smarter than the post-crisis parasite. Yeah. Well, up until he absorbs that doctor guy. Anyway, um, then, of course, because he no longer needs it, he just crashes that cab. Why not? It even goes kabloosh. <laughs> I like that sound. Because apparently it's an inflatable cab. It's like the oh, water yeah. balloon of cats. <laughs> Well, first of all, 
That means he stole a cab, obviously. And then he just destroys it. It's like there's no real reason for him to do that other than just to be evil. Well, that's what they do. This is why and we not, can't have nice things. <laughs> not to mention the the damage to the building he crashed into. But you know what you're going to do. And then when Clark re- or Superman returns to his apartment, he's got a teeny tiny little Christmas tree with <laughs> presents under it. He's wrapped presents and put them under his tree. He has some for other people. He was talking about getting Lana a silk scarf. and. Oh, yeah, good point. He was going over the Christmas present list. Lana's got what a, it's a pocket-sized tape player for Jimmy, silk scarf for Lana, and a full-length mirror for Steve Lombard. That is perfect for him. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> uh, fun. And apparently it's hard to buy stuff for Lois. Well, yeah. Can't imagine why. Uh, but let's see. Then um, I think it would have been cool if we had seen more of these Christmas stories because I would have liked the kind of a running gag of Steve not being able to get to kiss Lana. But the fact that he refers to himself as Uncle Steve is kind of uh, – I believe the kids say – Yucky. <laughs> it's a little. Yeah. Uh, but once again, Jimmy's wearing that great sports coat with the stripes on it. I kind of want one. I want. If I'm going to wear one, though, I'm going to wear that cool black turtleneck. No, yeah, it, double it up. Go yeah, Ron really, Burgundy style. It really completes the outfit right there. Ties the room together. You need some nice bell bottom pants, and you'll be set. One trip to Salvation Army or Goodwill, you're set. Mm-hmm. See? And now that I look at her, I think this redhead in the front, or next to Jimmy, is Edge's secretary, Miss Conway. But I don't know. But there's some other people in the background that we've never seen before, and they only appear in the one panel. Now, I forgot to look her up, but I'm wondering if Carol Jenkins is real. She is. Okay. Huh. Was it Carol Carol Jenkins? That's what it says. NBC newscaster from New York. Yes. Yes, she was. She's left TV now. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Makes me wonder, though, what, uh, why they put her in there. <laughs> At that time, um, I mean, New York, you don't get much bigger in terms of television markets. So to be the news anchor, to, to paraphrase Ron Burgundy, to be the news anchor there is kind of a big deal. Especially in the 70s. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just kind of weird to put a random cameo in here of her for. She didn't even do anything. Uh, it, it just makes me wonder if it was just like, is Carrie Bates a fan? Is Julie Schwartz a fan? Uh, did she visit the office and they said, hey, you, we're going to put you in this book? Or maybe she did a report about the comics. I don't know. This would have been what? This was late eighty one. So. Maybe she was doing something about the fact that they were getting ready to do a third Superman movie. I don't know. Eh, it's hard to tell. Or, yeah, all of the or, above. Or maybe, well, because I don't know how the home video mark worked back then. This might have been around the time that Superman 2 would have been hit video, maybe? She actually believes know. that was a real thrill. She yeah. did mention it, yeah. She just. It's a real pleasure. 
No, that was her words. That she was actually really proud to have been in the in the Superman comic. Oh, oh, really? This is from oh, CarolJenkinsMedia.com, cool. her personal blog. Oh, cool. Yeah. She does say some nice things about Clark. Oh, uh, he's in the comic. Strapping man, you know. Yeah, he's charming. Well person. built, you know. Lives at a nice apartment building. Nice glasses. Uh, but the next, uh, let's see, two pan- the fourth panel on page 24 is an awesome-looking Superman, in my opinion. Using his supervision of some kind. Yes, okay. I was on uh, the previous page. Oh, sorry. Yes. Uh, and then, let's see, the next page. I, I love this. Both Superman and Parasite are being cocky at each other. It's, it's a, it felt like a little bit like a Spider-Man fight. Yeah, it's like both of them know something that the other one doesn't know that's supposed to allow each of them to win or something. And it's just which one is more of the surprise. Although, I think Parasite was just being cocky because he's he knows he can just suck Superman's power out and make him weak. And then Superman knows that what will happen if he does that. It's kind of cool. And they get to... And then Superman's like... Oh, what's wrong, Parasite? Feeling a bit peaked? <laughs> a bit run down, maybe? Perhaps? <laughs> it's like, oh, baby. I like when Superman can have a little bit of fun while fighting. Uh-huh. And we, he gets this first smile on page 25, which is ironic because, you know, Christmas is on the 25th. So I see what they did, <laughs> see what they did yes. Yes. <laughs> Do you think they did that on purpose? Oh, I hope so. But I'm betting it's just a coincidence. I don't know. Maybe it was... Eh, I don't know. Well, the way they had to rush the ending, I could see that maybe they had to set, They tried setting it up that way. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, the, the, the weird thing is, I don't know how I believe... I don't know. I don't know how much I like this idea that he kind of injected himself with kryptonite. Uh, it's not as, it's not a chameleon boy fake out, but yeah, it's, it's pretty contrived. I mean, I understand that it's a, he, he does say it's a dangerous experiment, but I would think that it would affect his energy level enough that Parasite would have noticed. Well, there are, we're dealing with a comic with a relaxation floaty thing. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking too much. It's, <laughs> but it's, I'm, I'm being a picky podcaster. It's just what I'm supposed to do. Um, let's see. And then of course, Corey shows up and if, for those that hadn't read the Superboy issue, this is where we find out that he's, he was also raised for a few months by the, by the Kents. I kind of jumped ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Cause well, I mean, if it was revealed in that Superboy issue, then anyone that had read that would already know this part anyway. True. But he, they turned him from a juvenile delinquent into basically a secret agent man. Secret agent man, secret agent man. giving you and taking away your name. It's festively, and of course, they both care very much about Jonathan and Martha Kent, which is a great way to end the story because now they get to be they—they're they, no longer alone. Because. If you well, I failed to really note this in the story or in my notes, 
but both of them at the beginning of the story were feeling like they don't care much about Christmas because, you know, they're all alone. There's nobody so there beside these... him. <laughs> also, you'll, you will notice that now that he's meeting someone that deals with the Kents, Clark is basically wearing a red sweater and blue pants. <laughs> he looks like the blur, the red blue blur. <laughs> oh, there you go. Actually, that does look like the red, almost looks like he, that red jacket he wore for a long time. Mm-hmm. But that's the end of the issue. What Overall, what did you think of it? I laughed. I cried. There were tears. No, it was all right. It was actually a solid issue. I really enjoyed it. But I, when I was finished reading it each time, I just kind of forgot about it. Yes. Um, yeah, it's... I'm going to go kind of with that, too. It, it was fun. It was an entertaining read. It kind of it kind of puts you in the Christmas mood. But for the most part, it was just like, if I read it again, I'm going to forget about this stuff. Yeah. And uh, there weren't the plot hole. There were a few plot holes, but they weren't huge. And uh, really, you have to think about it in a podcasting fine-tooth comb kind of way to pick them out really and heck i thought i picked up a couple and you explained them so you know whatever (laughs) future no prize winner yeah there you go remind me i'll send you an envelope with nothing in it (laughs) (laughs) but but that's uh that's gonna do it for this episode uh well not yet though no, let me try that again. So first off, let's look ahead at what's coming up for 2014, since this is our final episode of the year. Now, I've got a plan for my part of the show. I'm covering Marty Pasco's entire run on the Superman title, starting from issue 305 up to about 335 plus 349, because it's a good issue that he did. And Dave, what are you going to be doing? No, mentioned DC Comics Presents. I'm going to be cherry-picking quite a few crossovers, uh, kind of aiming for the characters that I want to fit in. For example, Red Tornado, Plastic Man, Green Arrow, Zatanna. So it'll be ranging all the way up to, well, the Phantom Zone. Ooh. For episode 100, we're going to be looking at the first annual from DC Comics Presents, which should be pretty cool. It's an epic crossover episode about an epic crossover book. Yes, it's going to be awesome. I'm we're looking forward to that one. We're so meta. <laughs> it's like crazy meta. And then this coming August, we are going to be bringing an end to the show. That's right. See, as you may have seen on Facebook by the time this episode posts, as it turns out, my wife is pregnant. Yay! Thank you. Uh, and as such, I don't believe that I'm going to be able to have the time to continue podcasting, well, to continue producing my own podcast on a regular basis while also, you know, dealing with a newborn. So we will be ending the show in August. But when we do, we are covering the final pre crisis Superman story ever told Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Yay, Alan Moore thinks we're <laughs> demented. Yay! 
You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weider. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Mm-hmm.